The Nerdalogs is a Chicago-based sketch group that writes comedy based on shared true, personal stories about our existence as lifelong nerds. We started your stories to give everyone a chance to do what we do, share their own stories, and foster a more heartfelt, welcoming nerd community. Your Stories is about embracing the weird and obscure in your life and asserting your geekdom with a group that gets your references. And, most importantly, Your Stories is a place to bring people up, not to put anyone down. Try to keep your stories around five minutes, laugh at jokes, cry if appropriate, and applaud everyone who has the guts to sit here, tell a story, and come out as a nerd. Hi everybody, my name is Eric Arno, and this is the first part of the Nerdalogs Presents Your Stories October podcast, in which folks from all over the Chicago nerd community share personal stories about whatever it is we're talking about this month, uh, which this time happens to be coming home. We felt that it fit with the idea of fall being kind of the season to go back to school, reset from summer, or otherwise return to familiar stuff. So we've got some really great stories to go along with that theme today, including talks from violist and Muay Thai instructor Marnie Thompson, writer and consultant Maura Foley, Alaskan and action figure enthusiast Charlie Madsen, and the host of the Poor Choices podcast, Mark Coulomb, as well as a story from myself, and, as always, music from myself and Mr. Dwight Hasler. So, October's a really exciting month for the Nerdalogs. Uh, in just a few short weeks, we'll be out in New York City for both the New York Sketch Fest and the New York Comic Con. Uh, the dates on those shows are Thursday, October 12th, I'm sorry, Thursday, October 11th, and Saturday, October 13th, respectively. So any East Coast people, we'd love to see you out. Uh, more details on that are available on our website at www.nerdalogs.com. Uh, October also marks the beginning of a new adventure for your favorite comedy nerds. Hopefully that's us. Uh, the third Friday of every month at midnight, the Nerdalogs will be putting on a show of brand new material at I.O. in Chicago. That's 3541 North Clark Street, just a few doors down from Wrigley Field. This is a prestigious comedy venue, and obviously we intend to do some pretty special stuff there, so we hope you'll be able to join us for our first show doing that on Friday, October 19th. It's just five bucks to get in, and we are really, really going to have some fun. On the next Your Stories recording will take place the following Sunday, October 21st, uh, 7 p.m. at the Upstairs Gallery, 5219 North Clark Street. As always, that show is free and BYOB, and the theme of next month's show will be sports, whatever that makes you think of, which probably is sports, but whatever. Uh, come out, tell a story, get on the podcast, you know the drill. Now here's the usual plug that we've got a donate button on the side of our homepage at yourstories.podbean.com. So if you enjoy the show and would like to kick us a few bucks, please do, because we do do this for free. Uh, also, we'd love to get any feedback from you guys, so please feel free to post comments on our Facebook page or on the comment section of our podcast page. We'd love to hear what you guys have to say. Thanks as always for listening, and enjoy the stories. <laughs> so the theme tonight is coming home, and it's kind of cool for me because we're going to do some music that is maybe... A little bit of my less cool taste. Like, this is the kind of shit that I listened to 10 years ago when 97.9 was my station of choice. So, in a way, this is like musically coming home. But, I mean, obviously we couldn't not do these songs. So, you ready for this, dude? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And we soldier on. One, two, three, four. Uh-huh. 
stronger That tries to keep a man awake at night Are you the answer? I shouldn't wonder When I feel you at my appetite With all the power you're releasing It isn't safe to walk the city streets alone Anticipation is running through me Let's find the key and turn this engine on reflect on what I did this past weekend. I'll try to keep it brief. It is unrehearsed. Five minutes. Uh, yeah. All right. I need the red light for like if I go over on my time. So uh, what I did this weekend was I was out in New Jersey for this uh, symposium I have proof of called Glory Days, an academic conference dedicated to Bruce Springsteen. Um, so this was held in West Long Branch, New Jersey at Monmouth University, which is literally down the road from uh, Bruce's adopted hometown of Asbury Park, New Jersey. Uh, he grew up in Freehold, which is like a half hour away. That's what the song My Hometown is about. But uh, Asbury Park is kind of what he claims uh, as his home because that's where he really got to start in music. That's the community that fostered him. So that's kind of observation number one for the night is 
is home is what you make of it. And I imagine that's something other people will, will touch on too. But what was really interesting about this conference is that in addition to just sitting around listening to academics read papers, which is like, I mean, boring for most people, I, I find it fascinating. But uh, <laughs> there's a lot of kind of community-focused stuff. Like the first day, we got a tour of Asbury Park. And it's really interesting to me that 10, 15 years ago, Asbury Park was a shithole. Like it was this really vibrant boardwalk town in the 60s and 70s, and that's the Asbury that Bruce is singing about, that's where he got his start, but kind of the, some race riots in the early 70s, late 60s, and some just bad economic times ravaged the community, and it was, like, the boardwalk was closed, I mean, a few of the major venues stayed open, but, you know, it wasn't a place you'd want to live or visit, but through kind of efforts of Monmouth University and philanthropists, including Bruce, Asbury Park is it's coming back. Like the boardwalk is open again. There's housing developments. Uh, there's a fairly robust tourist industry. Like the downtown is still not in great shape, but it's getting there. And I find that really inspirational. It's kind of the very thing I love about Springsteen's songs is that like Chris said so eloquently several months ago, it gets better. Like sometimes you can fight and win. Like we're in one of the worst economic periods in American history right now. And Asbury Park is coming back. That is amazing to me. I find that really inspirational. And um, so I wanted to do kind of a song Bruce wrote about Asbury. Also bear in mind that I was at a Springsteen conference and I haven't been able to play a Springsteen song for days, so I'm going crazy. <laughs> so I'm I guess the larger point I wanted to draw from that, besides kind of the economic and cultural inspiration, is that... Like so many things, home, the concept of home is not static. You know, a lot of people view it as like, it's either a comforting place we return to or some of us demonize it, like we hate where we came from. But the truth is it isn't necessarily one or the other of those things all the time. It changes uh, like everything does. And, you know, I think there's a period when you wouldn't want to call Asbury Park home and now it's okay to do that again. And I think that's really... Fascinating. So, uh, Steve can back me up on this, because we both saw Bruce a few weeks ago at Wrigley. Yeah, we did. Uh, <laughs> and um, Bruce said, you know, this is a song that's been about a lot of things. It's been about 9-11. It's been about Katrina. It's kind of currently about uh, Clarence, his saxophone player that just passed away. But originally, it was about Asbury Park, and this was written in 2001. So, that's what I'm going to play. You know the song I'm talking about, right? I'm going to need some help in, uh, in a little bit. But this is called uh, My City of Ruins. Now the sweet bells of mercy 
Darling, where you slept You took my heart when you left Without your sweet kiss my soul Has lost my friend Tell me how do I begin again Again you guys help on this part. Steve, you gotta help me out especially. With these hands, with these hands, with these hands, keep it up. With these hands, I pray, Lord. Yeah, keep it going, guys. This is awesome. I pray for the strength, Lord. It has people that I love and care about and want to learn about. Two, it's a place where people that, that has also uh, people that love and care about me. And three, it's a place where I can do whatever I want. If you can't be comfortable at home, where can you be? After graduating high school and leaving my actual home, I found it difficult to find a place where I could even remotely feel these things. I had friends in college involved with groups, but it never felt quite right. So. Uh, finally, I decided to make a leap and study abroad, and it turns out that it wasn't until I actually left America and everybody I knew behind that I actually felt the most at home in my life. I left the chilled modern airport and found myself outside in the hot, noisy, and chaotic streets of Bangkok. <laughs> I had so many apprehensions about going on this trip, but once I got there, I only asked myself once, do I know what I'm doing? And the answer was clearly no but I had no idea what I was getting myself into. But more than that, I just didn't care, and that's being home. My weekends were beach trips and tie buckets where you pour a bunch of alcohol and seven up into a bucket and bring a dozen straws and share with friends. <laughs> and, and my evenings were curry and fried rice dinner dates with random people, even though those you didn't know very well because, you know, you invited them to come eat. Why not? And that's home. My days were classes in learning the language, especially how to talk to taxi drivers, and uh, more about Siam and Thailand's uh, history and culture and Buddhism taught by a real monk. But my mornings, my early mornings in particular, were my favorites. 
I won't lie, the movie Ungbak Thai Warrior had a uh, rather significant <laughs> impact on my decision to go to Thailand. <laughs> And, uh, and I knew the first thing that I wanted to do was learn Muay Thai. <laughs> so no more than a week had passed since my arrival that I saw a sign in an international building store stating that Muay Thai lessons were being offered. And so I instantly went to sign up and I never looked back. I thoroughly got my ass handed to me every day from 6 to 8 a.m. And uh, I looked forward to this. This is something I really wanted to do. And I loved my teacher, and he saw the dedication in me and loved having me there. And that's a home. The openness and love I felt for my fellow Thai students really stuck with me as well. And the Thai people in general smile a lot. And at first it felt kind of strange, because here you don't really smile at someone unless you know them. Otherwise, you're like, what's wrong with you? Uh, but over there, it's such a warm culture of inclusion, and I always felt at home. And even going on little trips to Vietnam and Cambodia, when I came back, I found that I really missed Thailand. And as soon as I got back, I was walking around like, hi, stray dog, oh my god, 7-Eleven, like, oh, pretty lady boy, hi. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and it was really remarkable. And in no time, I, I really just felt like I was where I belonged. So coming back to America after that was a little crushing. And literally my first thought upon landing in LA was, oh my god, there's so many white people here. <laughs> and also, I went to a restaurant, I was like, how much is a glass of water going to cost me? I bet it's really expensive here. I forget. <laughs> oh, it's free. <laughs> but, uh, but I learned to take something with me, and the, the tools that I had learned and how to feel at home. And so I found uh, you need to find something lovable in everybody, and be yourself a person worthy of loving, and just let go. Let it all go. Mm. Hey, um, I think Mention Marnie is uh, an excellent viola. She performed last month. She also met Eddie Vedder last weekend, which is pretty awesome. Uh, so <laughs> next we have, uh, I talked about my kind of nerdy academic pursuits earlier. I'm actually co-writing a paper on the X-Men with this next speaker. Um, she also brought me cookies tonight, so I'm inclined to love her. Maura Foley. Uh, you can sit in whatever chair you want. Well, this right, is my fucking chair. That's that that one. Oh, okay. Okay, that one's better, I guess. So. I'm gonna sit here. Good choice. So deal with it. Um, okay, cool. I actually timed this at work because I I submitted a data poll and watched the timer click as I read through what I had written. <laughs> so it's, it should be about five minutes and thirty seconds. <laughs> um, so my story is about how things smell. Um, homes have smells. Their own smells. My home has the best smell. My house, and by my, I mean my parents' house, smells like mildly damp, freshly clean laundry, old books, and grass. My father says my mother has a nose like a bloodhound. It caused me a lot of anxiety as a teenager. I was always concerned she'd sniff out whatever indiscretion, alcohol, drug, or boy-related, <laughs> on my person the minute I got home. I swear she smelled my lack of virginity the moment it flew the coop. <laughs> um, but I, I admire her nose. Uh, my first distinct memory of my house in Minnesota is watching my mother breathe deeply over a bowl of freshly made applesauce, testing to ensure that the mixture had the correct amount of cinnamon. Once, I spilled orange juice on the Berber carpet of our basement in Kansas City. 
the corner furthest from the stairwell, and my mother smelled it before she reached the bottom step. She smelled the mold growing in our Philadelphia House Foundation before the building inspector found it. Someday I'm going to write a TV cop drama about her and call it The Nasalist. <laughs> when we moved to Madison, my mother could smell something coming from the heating ducts, something no one else could smell. At first we made jokes like, Mom, maybe you're having a stroke! <laughs> then one night I was laying in her bed with her while she tip-tapped away at her computer and I smelled it. Uh, the, heat, the heating and air conditioning man came and he cleaned the ducts a couple times. Uh, but I was still able to smell it. Me and my mom were the only ones. I don't remember how the smell went away, but the one thing I do remember is I was incredibly proud because I realized I had my mother's nose. Um, there are some things that people don't know have a smell. Heparin has a smell. Heparin is a mild blood thinner nurses use to clean out IV lines. We still have prepackaged sterile syringes of it lurking in junk drawers and wicker baskets of band-aids in our house. Remnants of my dad's chemotherapy and the twice daily pick line flushes. Heparin smells like hospital. It's one of the many odors in the sadness bouquet known as hospital smell. <laughs> Everyone knows that smell. And if you've ever spent time in a hospital, you know it's very dominating. It is so pungent, it takes away your smell and replaces it with itself. During my dad's allopathic stem cell transplant, I hadn't visited for several days because sorority recruitment was going on. In a fit of frustration and cunning, I had forced myself to cry during a stupid bickering meeting about who would interview who during preference round. A sympathetic sister gave me a ride to the hospital to see my dad. You know something is really stupid bullshit when you'd rather be at a hospital. My mother had warned me that my dad wasn't conscious enough to recognize some people. And when I saw him, he did not recognize me. During the night, I'd rise from the inflatable mattress the nurses had set up on the floor of his room and lead my barely conscious father to the bathroom or force him to suck on the tube he needed to clean the sloughing skin and mucus from the inside of his mouth every half an hour. I would hug him, and that was the worst part. He didn't smell like my dad. He smelled like sick and phlegm and heparin and death. And I cried and cried and cried. And this time, I wasn't faking it. Like the sissy child I am, um, I'm still getting over feeling that helpless from that smell. I thought I was done and that it was over and that I was okay. Um, but work stress had started to make it worse and I hadn't been home since Christmas. I was working 70 hours a week, driven by a need to pay my dues. Fuck that phrase, by the way. <laughs> um, my cubicle smelled like glossy copy paper and stale Dunkin', du Dunkin Donuts coffee. My dad knew something was wrong, and in an effort to cheer me up, he came to visit. When he left, I went to strip the sheets off my bed, the bed that he had slept in while visiting, and I caught a whiff of my house's smell, the smell he carried with him from Madison, the smell the hospital had stolen from him. So I wrapped myself in the 600 thread count Martha Stewart sheets I'd bought myself with my first big girl paycheck. <laughs> I inhaled his smell and cried. I was 12 again, huffing the smell of a towel I'd stored deep in my duffel bag at sleepaway camp when homesickness was too much. All I wanted to do was go home. One prescription for Lexapro, six $200 therapist appointments, and one new job offer later. I'm doing much better. <laughs> um, I had a few days off in between my uh, last job, so I met my parents in Milwaukee for the day. 
They got lost trying to find me in Milwaukee's third ward, the place that I'd walked to when they inevitably ran late. They found me roaming the streets and honked the horn, and I heard a familiar, oh, hi, of my mom's voice. I opened the car door and hugged her, and there it was, that smell, on her denim jacket. This time I didn't cry, I just smiled. I got in the back seat, inhaled that smell again, and said, oh, my God, am I glad to see ya. <laughs> That was awesome. Thank you, Maura. Okay, this is going to be really poor because I only know your first name. Charlie, uh, please tell us something about yourself, like your last name. Madsen? Madsen. Okay, awesome. Charlie Madsen. Thank you for having me. I'm going to go around because this one's better. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is pungent. <laughs> so, uh, I grew up on an island in southwest Alaska, so going home has always been an interesting challenge for me. First of all, you have to be at peace with your maker before you get on board the plane. <laughs> which has no actual exit aisle so much as the aisle that you boarded in, and there are no trade tables, and there's no stewardess. So. Um, you also have to decide what you can and can't take back with you because shipping charges outweigh the need of your valuables. So once a year when I got home from college, my mom would always ask me to go through my old boxes in the basement and throw away what I didn't want anymore. Now, I wouldn't say that I'm a hoarder, but there are plenty of things that I find it very easy to throw away and things that I just will never throw away. For example, I have kept every single action figure that I've ever bought. I also have a lot of pride in the guys, as I call them, <laughs> that I've accumulated over time. Not a single figure had ever been left in the original packaging, mind you. My guys were the opposite of mint. I was not a collector. I was an action administrator. <laughs> I was always building an army that I could go to war with. Now, when my brother got older, I inherited his Joes. And when my friend Tristan started smoking copious amounts of weed, I not only got his turtle layer, I also got his spawn layer. <laughs> Which was great, because I could connect them with my Ghostbuster firehouse and have a super awesome hideout. <laughs> of course, I never stopped playing with action figures or buying them, because after the Joes started getting a little funky and weird, Lucas released in 97 that great Star Wars line, which had so many different kinds of every character. You could even have Forrest Trenchcoat Han. <laughs> and I did things like steal uh, washable black and red markers for bullet holes and to draw mustaches, beards on people. I even shaved off Lando's mustache and drew one on him <laughs> as he progressed through time because there was always a trilogy. <laughs> and you don't start a trilogy with a mustache. You grow it by the second one. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Now, uh, the same happened with the Phantom Menace in 99. Uh, of course, no one needs Supreme Chancellor Valorum or Watto, <laughs> but I have both of them. <laughs> and until college came around, I couldn't actually find the room to bring them. That's when I had to sort of stop. I couldn't also justify having the Todd McFarlane Jason Voorhees figure staring at me while I was having sex. So. <laughs> he had the blade, and he's coming for me. <laughs> so uh, a few years later, my sister popped out a baby, and now I have a nephew. 
Uh, this is in 2005. Now, I'm not much of a babysitter. I never took child psychology. I used to be a kid. I didn't much care for it. I find most children to be very immature. So a majority of Aiden's life, I treated him like having a wild puppy more than a little boy. But then something happened when he turned six. We were having uh, adult dinner, he, his, my sister and uh, he, and he was mostly coloring and being loud. And then he came up to me and he whispered and he said, hey, I love Darth Vader. And then he said, I hear you own a lightsaber. <laughs> Which was true, because my sister bought me a build your own lightsaber for my college graduation present. <laughs> Now here's the other thing, Aiden was born on April 22nd, which is also the Aries Taurus cusp, same weekend as Hitler's birthday, Columbine, and Vatek. So him liking Darth, Saber, Darth Vader implies to me that he is evil. <laughs> so I had to take that with a grain of salt and enjoy him while he's still not evil yet, but it's gonna happen. But now we had a connection. So last Christmas, I handed Aiden a large Rubbermaid tub marked the guys. And I spent an entire afternoon showing him every single person, including Berserker Sabretooth from when he had the, the claws on, and then Wolverine had to go up in the throat, and then Age of Apocalypse Cyclops with the one eye, and all three Darth Mauls, and we played with them for about an hour, and then we had a lightsaber duel across the entire house. And apparently his limbs can't grow back, uh, can grow back, but mine could not. His could regenerate, and I call bullshit on that. It's not fun to play lightsabers with somebody cheats. <laughs> After I overreach with trying to introduce him to the Star Trek movie, um, we settled on Iron Giant. Because uh, he's six. And so, uh, this was probably the best gift I could give him, though, was the action figure, because it simultaneously was very satisfying to pass on the joy of my guys, to him and to know that if you just don't throw something away and wait long enough, it'll come back. Of course, there's another box in the basement, uh, which is marked VHS, which mm. has the Alien Trilogy, not the Quadrilogy, <clears throat> Demolition Man and WrestleMania 13. <laughs> yes, most of these things are rated R, so you won't be able to watch them until he's 10. <laughs> in the meantime, we could always play out the 64 and play Goldeneye or WCW versus NWO Revenge or Mario Kart. So, um, he can still come to Grandma's house every year and play with the old action figures, but not all of them because I still have all 48 Marvel Legends that I bought in college. <laughs> and I am not letting any of those go anytime soon. Yes, I took a picture of that on my phone. Tony, that's awesome, man. I, uh, I was obsessed with buying the bases when I was a kid, and my favorite toys were Transformers, which the bases are tough because they would transform into stuff, and as a result, they were like, they had to be kind of a logical robot size, but that meant that in base mode, like, Optimus Prime was like three quarters of the base. So, like, that's not very cool. Like, where are the rest of his guys going to go? But they're still awesome toys. Oh, uh, Okay. I don't know your last name either, but Mark, the host of the Poor Choices podcast, which is, is fairly, I, I'd say, really notable in Chicago. This is awesome. Let's give it up for Mark. I'm sure some of you guys have listened to it. How you doing, man? Good. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you. I'm uh, sorry I didn't get your last name. Cool. It's fine. I, it's, I, I don't, last names are sick. What would you get for somebody to walk up in a bar and say, like, I hear you have a lightsaber? <laughs> like that would be my god that would blow my mind like yes I do Best thing right like you're up, we'll go home now 
Make, <laughs> make Wookie. <laughs> is that what you got? I, that's what I call it. They haven't said anything, but as somebody that's run shows, they have buckets, so give some money on the way out, because things cost money, right? Um, Joe Halderman's book, The Forever War, a great book if you haven't read it, is a thinly veiled critique of the Vietnam War and a pretty good examination of the effects of relativity. Uh, the protagonist travels faster than the speed of light. A few weeks to him is decades back home. The things that make the book fascinating are the way the world changes while he's away. I initially planned to write my piece from the point of view of a guy who traveled the stars and returned home 100 years after he left. In case you're wondering, you just missed a couple of jokes about everybody looks like Rosario Dawson and Empire Shaddam Honey Boo Boo the Fourth. <laughs> Not much else. The, thing, the more I wrote, the more I realized that I had trouble thinking about returning to a place that had changed because, in my experience, the opposite's true. Uh, the more you travel, the more you change, and it's the place that you're from that hangs suspended in time. I lived 20 years of my life in a town called Fairfield. Uh, its entire reason for being is that it's halfway between San Francisco and Sacramento, California. The town just clings to a freeway. That's, that's it. Just this highway. Uh, Fairfield is little going for it other than its proximity to things. I mean, sure, we have a Jelly Belly factory and a Budweiser plant, and when the wind moves a certain way, the town smells like hops and high fructose corn syrup. <laughs> it's a place that's just close. Notable celebrities do include Pat Morita and members of Papa Roach. <laughs> uh, the other big feature in town is an Air Force base. Out of the 100,000 or so people uh, in the town, a third of them worked there, had worked there, or were definitely going to be working there upon not completing high school. Uh, every time you scored poorly on a test or SAT, uh, or sat on the couch playing video games instead of doing your homework, a cargo plane would buzz and rattle your house as a reminder of the things waiting for those of us that couldn't get into college. For 20 years I lived there. It was a really conservative town thanks to the military and a shockingly large influx of churches. Our Saturdays were broken up with a constant door-to-door -door advertising of one church or another. Early in the day it would be Jehovah Witnesses or Witnessers or Witness I, whatever the plural for <laughs> witnesses. Uh, then Mormons, then Protestants. You could set your watch to it. The constant offer of a pizza party or a basketball game if you just came out and listened to the good word. My only escape was going into Berkeley and San Francisco for punk rock shows. My first trip outside of my suburban galaxy was going to a show. Short trips at first, but changing me nonetheless. People at punk shows dressed in a lot more black, smoked, and spit a lot. I felt oddly at home. <laughs> only a few hours once a month away, but an entire solar system away from my home. After college, I started traveling for a job I had. My first six months away from home allowed me to go all the way from Alaska to Australia. Suffice to say, if a punk show in Berkeley was another galaxy, this was, as Morgan Freeman says, through the wormhole. I was only gone for six months, but when I returned, it felt different. I looked different. Everything in Fairfield looked the same, just tinier. I was treated like an alien. My interactions with people I'd known fairly well for most of my life were now just a series of questions about where I'd been and what I'd seen. For a lot of people where I grew up, some place like Australia might as well have been the moon. I mean, they'd seen it in a book, maybe a movie, but had serious doubt that anyone had actually been there. <laughs> like William in the Forever War, I knew that I needed to head back out as soon as I got home. I just didn't belong there. This time I signed up for a little longer tour of duty and was going to a place beyond the edge of known space, time, and as far as the folks back home were concerned, freedom. I was going to go live in Europe for a while. My previous travels had just been that, travels 
and jaunts, a quick run through the outer rim. Now I was settling down roots in an alien place. It took a little while before I started to blend in and learn the customs. There were adjustments, adjustments to be made for sure, but it, like my observations at my first punk shows, everyone in Europe just dressed in black and smoked a lot. Spitting, not so much. When I returned home from years away, I felt like Roy Batty in Blade Runner. I had seen sea beams glitter at the Tannhauser Gate. I had slept on the beach in Greece. The things I had seen, things those people wouldn't believe. After seeing, doing, and being so many places over the previous few years, my hometown didn't feel like my hometown anymore. The entire place looked tired and sunburned. While I'd been away, things had just gotten bad. When the housing bubble burst, it burst first in places like Fairfield. I had been gone for three years, but the place I found when I returned was a sea of brown lawns and for sale by bank signs. What had been home for so long truly felt alien. This time it had changed more than I had. Have you ever hung out with someone that you used to date and it just never feels the same? I mean, they're them and you're you, but you're not us anymore. I looked around and decided there's nothing left for me there and headed to Chicago to begin my life back on Earth. I head home once a year, once a year, every year or so. Truth be told, if my parents left tomorrow, I would never go back. My hometown today stands on the verge of bankruptcy, as the money has slipped away from the town, and many like it in Northern California. Fairfield's grown more conservative. The town's made the news twice in recent months, once for cutting all after-school sports, music, and activities. The other was because it's home to one of the few Chick-fil-A's in Northern California. <laughs> in an act of communal solidarity and stupidity, the town managed to buy the place out of chicken in National We Hate Gay People and Love Obesity Day. I was embarrassed that that was the kind of thing my hometown would manage to organize itself for. When people ask where I'm from, I almost never say Fairfield. It's not really that I'm embarrassed or ashamed anymore. I actually don't really care. It's just, it's not home. But more than anything, it just doesn't feel like home. If you ask me where I'm from, I might say Sacramento. I might say the Bay Area. I may even say California. But more than likely, I'll say Chicago. Thank you very much, Mark Holland. Here's how I should have introduced you. Uh, the Poor Choices podcast is the premier Chicago comedy podcast. If you guys haven't heard it, you should. It's really great. Thank you, Mark. That was awesome. Um, I always wanted to do kind of like a, a corny British pop version of this song, which this isn't going to be, but it's going to be kind of sweet and sensitive, I hope. You know I'm a dreamer, but my heart's of gold. I had to run away high, so I wouldn't come home low. Just when things went right, it doesn't mean they were always wrong. Just take this song and you'll never feel left all alone. Take me to your heart, feel me in your bones. Just one more night and I'm coming up this long and winded road. I'm on my way, I'm on my way. I've seen 
falling off the silver screen My heart's like an open book For the whole world to read Sometimes nothing keeps me together at the seams I'm on my way I'm on my way Silence for Tommy Lee, please. He's not dead. <laughs> He's not dead. His soul is dead. His soul is dead. <laughs> the Nerdalogs present Your Stories is sponsored by the Chicago sketch comedy troupe The Nerdalogs and is recorded the third Sunday of every month at the Upstairs Gallery in Chicago, 6219 North Park Street. The stories you hear have been prepared and presented by the speakers on a volunteer basis. Your Stories is recorded and co-produced by Sean Patrick Boyle. Our theme song comes from the band State Shirt. For more information on the Nerdalogs, your stories, and more, go to www.nerdalogs.com.